I invite you to open the Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. That will be our text together this evening as we now come to the final section of this letter. It's on page 1016, if you got one of our Bibles. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. I have absolutely loved going through 1 Peter during this time where we've all been scattered, where we've had to submit, where we've been suffering. This book has been an encouragement, and I hope you will be encouraged here tonight in your soul. Out of respect for God's Word, I'm going to ask if we could all stand up for our Scripture reading, and I'm going to read it for us, uh, starting in chapter 4, verse 12, going to the end of the chapter. If you could follow along as I read, let's give this our full and undivided attention. This is something from God that you need to hear tonight. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time. For judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's the reading of God's word. Please go ahead and have your seat. And we need to learn something about our expectations. A lot of us, we approach life with certain expectations, what we, what we think is going to happen maybe when we get married, when we have kids, when we start a new job, we start a new school year, we go on a trip, we expect it to go out a certain way, and then when it doesn't go the way we expect, we get disappointed, we get frustrated. It can be really hard when our expectations are not met, okay? Now look what it says here in verse 12. It says, beloved. So he's clearly readdressing all of these scattered believers that he cares about. You could translate that, dear friends. And he's now bringing this, this book to really an epic conclusion. Some of the best content, I think, in this book is, is ahead of us in the weeks to come. And he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. If you're expecting happy circumstances, if you're expecting that everything is going to go your way, well, look what he says here in verse 12. That's not a good expectation. Don't be surprised that there's going to be trials. There's going to be hard times. When something bad happens, if you feel like, this is strange, why is something bad happening? Well, it's because you've got the wrong expectations. So let's get this down for point number one. If you're taking notes, you need to educate your expectations with Scripture. Educate 
your expectations with Scripture. Okay, it's saying do not be surprised. So what we all need to do together, everybody here on the front lawn, if you're watching online, let's get our mind around this thought, okay? Something is going to happen. Jesus said to you, in this world you will have what? What did he say? He didn't say rainbows and ice cream, everybody. He said, in this world you're going to have trouble, okay? But yeah, here's what happens to a lot of us. When we have trouble, we act like, why is this happening to me? Well, why is this going wrong? I'm not expecting trouble, right? I'm not expecting people to drive by that loud at the beginning of the sermon. Why is this happening to me? I mean, we're doing the service right on the road. How could that happen that someone would drive by really loud, right? Go back to chapter 1, verse 6. He already talked about these kinds of trials. He hit this, that we would be tested, that everybody who's going to claim to have faith in Jesus, you're going to be tested in that faith and he hit this right at the beginning when we started this study he said look at this first peter 1 6 in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been keyword here grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying you have a living hope and you should rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, some things are going to go wrong. You're going to have some bad experiences. And here's the way the trials are going to feel to us. I love that word there, grieved, okay? It means that you got sad. It means that, that sorrow came over you, like something circumstantially happened, something you were hoping something was going to happen, your expectations were not met, and the way you felt about it was sad. Let's get this down for our, uh, our next little uh, point here under number one. How will you respond when sad? Okay. Trials are going to happen, and you're going to feel sad about them. I, I, I would imagine everybody here has felt sad during some point during the last six months of the coronavirus crisis. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Anybody felt sad? Uh, I mean, I would imagine we felt sad before that. But for me, I would say the last six months, I've probably felt more sad in the last six months than any other six months in my life. I mean, when we, when we had to say we couldn't meet inside this building, I felt very sad about that. When they gave the stay-at-home order, I, it's just this, it's this heaviness that comes upon you. It's this feeling inside of you that this isn't right. Things are not the way I was hoping they would be. This doesn't make sense to me, and it feels grievous. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what else has made you sad. I know for me, one thing that happened was my grandpa, who was such a great guy, I loved him. He passed away during coronavirus. I remember getting that news, and I just felt sad, just felt heavy upon me. I remember one day they made this uh, news announcement. Yeah, L.A. County won't open for three months. That was back in the day when everybody was like, are we going to open now? Are we going to open now? And then they said, we're not going to open for three months. And you could just, I saw people walking around and they looked how I felt. They just looked hunkered down. They looked beaten up. They looked like this isn't what I was hoping was going to happen. I guarantee you, 
Every single one of us is going to feel that way again. A rainy day is coming. A hard time is going to hit you. And when you feel that sadness creeping in, you should not be surprised. You should be ready. You should be prepared. You should be like, oh, here we go. I've felt this sadness before. I know what this is like. See, what that sadness is going to do is it's going to bring up perhaps temptations in your life. It's going to bring up perhaps this feeling of wanting to withdraw, or some people go the other way where they want to get angry and they want to do something about it. We know that some people, when they get sad, they go look for something to drink. Some people, they get sad, they just want to check out, kind of withdraw from their family, go just fill their mind with entertainment. Some people, they like want to rebel. They want to, they want to do something. We can't, we can't just take this lying down. Let's do something about it. You know, you should know at this point, how do you respond when you get grieved by trials? When something hard happens to you, it doesn't feel right. You feel low about it. Where does your mind go? What do you naturally want to do? Well, this is something we need to learn here. This is what Peter's trying to teach us. Go back to chapter 4, verse 12. We got to get our sad response ready. Beloved, you can't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It's kind of like, since we're going back to school, I think everybody's back to school now. Some people for weeks, some people just this last week. Were you ever in class and the teacher's like, all right, everybody, we're going to have a test. And even though everybody knows the test is coming, even though we've been reviewing for this test for weeks, even though like everybody should have had plenty of time to study and you can even write down a cheat sheet with all the answers on it, even though they have dumbed down this whole class to the lowest possible denominator, the teacher says, we're going to have a test and everybody's like, ah, Who's ever been there before? Who's ever experienced that? Like, that doesn't make sense. You already knew the test was coming. Next time you feel sad, I want you to be ready to respond to that. What are you going to do to not be surprised, to not act like this is strange, to not have a pity party? What are you going to do about being sad? You might feel that way today. What are you going to do about it? Are you just going to stay in your feelings? Or are you going to turn to the Lord? Look what it says here in verse 13. It says rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You're going to have to learn how to get your eyes off of your circumstances and on to Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen about, from that on anybody? There is a reason to rejoice in that Christ suffered and died for you. There is a reason to rejoice in that Christ is coming to get you. And if you suffer now in the name of Christ, you will be glorified with him later on. That's the hope that we have here in 1 Peter. A hope that does not disappoint a hope that is greater than our circumstances, the hope of Jesus Christ. So what am I going to do? When I, when I feel that sinking feeling, when I find out that my grandpa has passed away and I'm feeling low, what, that's not strange. I've felt that way before. What am I going to do about it? I've got this place in my house where I know I could go and I could pray right away when I feel that way. 
I've got people I know that I could call and I could say, if I called people and I said, hey, I'm sad, will you pray for me? I know people who love me that if I said I was sad and I needed them to pray for me, they would stop what they were doing and they would pray for me. Who knows somebody like that? Who knows somebody, if you called them and you told them, I'm sad, I need your prayers, I need your support, they would care about you. Maybe there's a favorite song you need to pull out and listen to. Maybe there's a passage of scripture like Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you dispirited within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. You need to have your sad response plan. How are you going to get out of feeling sad next time you're in a trial and you're grieved by it? Uh, If you act like, oh, I can't believe I'm feeling sad, at some point, the problem is you need to believe that sadness is coming. I mean, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I think we've got some hard times coming at us here in America. We got 52 days till an election that is ready to divide this. I mean, one of the things that has made me sad is seeing how much our fellow Americans, how much we hate one another in this country. It's sad. Hey, that's going to keep on happening. How are you and I going to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ, rejoice in his future glory yet to be revealed? How are we going to set our mind on the things of Jesus and not be surprised that more sad things are happening down here on planet Earth? Now it goes on, look what it says in verse 14, another way that you might be feeling sad, let's get more specific, not just any kind of bad thing or hard thing that could test your faith as a trial, but in verse 14, it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, okay, if you are reviled is another way, or reproached is another way you could translate it. It goes on to say in verse 16, if you suffer now specifically as a Christian. We use the phrase Christian, the the term Christian, to describe people all the times today. There's three times it's used in the Greek New Testament, and this is one of them. If, If people insult you because you are a Christian, Well, that's a certain kind of suffering. That's a certain kind of trial. Let's get that down for our next dash here. How will you respond when persecuted? How will you respond with persecuted? This is something we've been learning about in 1 Peter, that according to 2 Timothy 3.12, all of us are promised persecution. And, And we've seen that throughout Peter. The main kind of persecution it's talking about is that people are going to want to speak evil against you. Here it uses the word insult you. Somebody's going to say something bad about you because you're either trying to do what is right or you're talking too much about Jesus. And and that's going to get a negative response. People are going to notice you're doing what is right. You're talking about Jesus and they're going to try to say something to you. And that all of us are going to experience that kind of persecution. Sometimes when we use the word persecution, we think about believers who have been martyred or who have been arrested, or we think about places where it's illegal to be a Christian. But the kind of persecution that Peter's talking about in this letter is a kind of persecution that happens a lot right here in Southern California where you get made fun of because you're a Christian. You get isolated, you get left out, and people try to put you down. Because you are, why are you always trying to do what is right? Why are you trying to tell everybody about Jesus? And you're going to get insulted. 
Now, how should we respond? We have already been promised that persecution is coming. Who here has ever had someone made fun of you because you're a Christian? Who here has ever been made fun of because you're a Christian? It's a common experience. That's going to happen again, especially if you're doing a good job living a righteous life and obeying the commands of Jesus. If you're doing a good job talking about Jesus with your classmates or your co-workers or your neighbors or your family members, if you're out there repping Jesus, somebody's going to try to shut you up about it and shut you down. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Everybody turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, the last of the Beatitudes here. And Jesus talks about, hey, this is actually something that should make you blessed or happy, a reason to rejoice. He says this in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. It's on page 810. If you got one of our Bibles, look at what he says right here. This is the words of Jesus to you. If you're insulted in his name, he says to you, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus doesn't say you should have a pity party. Jesus says you should have a persecution party. That's what he's saying right here, everybody. He's saying if people actually can see by the way you live or by the words coming out of your mouth, if people can tell that you're a Christian, and they, even if they mean it in a negative way, and they're trying to bring you down, you should actually rejoice. You should actually be glad, because you have now been named in a long history of prophets and saints of old people in other times and all over the world who have had the privilege of suffering in the name of Jesus, and you should be honored to appear in that line of people. You should be honored that people can see there's something different, something changed about you, that Jesus has really saved you and has given you a new life. You shouldn't feel down when you're persecuted. You should be like, they can tell I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. He's doing a work in my life. It should actually be something that affirms you even though they're trying to use it against you. This is one of the funnest things, one of the most precious things that I've been able to do. And, and let's just make it very clear. People at this church are getting persecuted all the time. They're getting outcast from their family. They're being told not to get baptized. I mean, you, if you don't know somebody who's getting persecuted, let me just tell you, it is happening on a regular basis here at your church where people are mocked, people lose jobs. I mean, people get asked to leave where they live. I mean, people get real knocked down because they're in Jesus Christ. And one of the things I love to do is when I find out that somebody gets persecuted, I like to come and throw them a party specifically for some reason when it's persecution i think of cupcakes i don't know if you've ever made that association but literally we have made cupcakes before with a p on them here's your persecution cupcake right we've gone down the street to this place down the street that sells cupcakes we've bought people cupcakes and we've said let us rejoice let us be glad let us eat cake because you're with jesus and that has been some of the sweetest moments of fellowship i've had in my life because that proved to that person oftentimes a new christian being mocked by their family or their spouse 
or their old friends, just not associating with them anymore, reproaching them. And now it's like, you know what that means? They see you're new. You're with Jesus. And we're here to be your new family, and we will rejoice with you that you are one of the people of Jesus. If you ever get persecuted, the first thing I would encourage you to do is tell somebody about it. Can you write that down? Under How are you going to respond when persecuted? Tell another Christian about it. Okay, Don't go through persecution alone. And if somebody tells you about it, buy them a cupcake. Make them a cupcake, all right? But if you get persecuted, I think you should tell a brother or sister about it. A couple of reasons that you need to tell them about it. The, one of them is back in 1 Peter 4, verse 15, okay? Because one thing you want to think through is, did I do something to provoke this suffering, okay? We don't want to get persecuted for being rude or being a jerk to somebody, right? We don't want to be persecuted for bashing people over the head with our Bible or telling people they're in sin in a rude and insensitive way. No, look what it says in verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That's an interesting word there, meddler. It's like a mischief maker is the idea. Somebody who's stirring it up. Somebody who's uh, rocking the boat a little bit, right? Are they asking you to be quiet because you're talking about Jesus? Or are they asking you to be quiet because you're just talking way too much? You're just trying to get in there and, and mix it up a little bit. So we got to make sure that we're suffering. Peter, he says this so many times. Hey, make sure you're suffering for doing what is good. Make sure you're actually suffering for righteousness sake. Make sure it's because you're talking about Jesus and not just because you're talking. But then it says this in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. See, what Jesus is saying is that persecution is actually not negative. It's 100% positive. It's affirming your new life. It's proving that you're a Christian, but you're going to feel negative about it and so when you tell that brother or that sister hey could you pray for me hey can I tell you what happened to me because I was trying to do this and people made fun of me for it I was trying to tell somebody this and, I, and they insulted me they reproached me see what that brother or sister can do what maybe they can see even more clearly than you can because you might be taking it personal you might be feeling bad about it and they can say, hey, no, that's actually really good. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Keep going. Keep speaking up. Keep doing the right thing because you could actually bring glory to God right now. And they can celebrate with you a persecution party. And together, you can praise God for his work in your life. So one thing I see happen is I see people get stirred up by this book. I see people get revived in their soul, and they want to go talk to people. They want to go do what is right and change their life, and they're fired up, and the world tells them no. The world says, stop doing what is right. Stop talking about Jesus. And I see people who run out of here fired up, get beaten down by the negative response of the world. And when you feel like the world is telling you to stop talking Jesus and live in Jesus, tell a brother or sister so they can remind you we're here to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let them beat you down. Keep on lifting high the name. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. 
glorify him. They tell you to be quiet. Well, politely, lovingly turn the volume up. That's what it's saying. Glorify him. Don't, don't let the world set the tone for your righteousness and your witness of Jesus Christ. Let him determine how you're going to live your life. Let your relationship with Jesus determine what you're going to do on any given day. Don't let the other people knock you down. And they're going to try to do it. Don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised that when you're really growing, when you're really saying no to temptation, when you're really ready to witness to somebody, don't be surprised that something bad's going to happen right at that moment and try to slow your roll. Don't be surprised that somebody's going to try to shut you down when you are really about to make a big step up in your growth in Jesus. No, you're going to feel sad because bad things are going to happen, and you're going to be persecuted when you're trying to live for Christ. And you know what we should do? We should not be ashamed, but glorify God that we get to be associated with the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? He saved your soul. He made you one of his people. That's not a cut down when they persecute you. That's a compliment that you're one of the people of Jesus Christ. And if you're having a hard time seeing it that way, you got to tell a brother or a sister so they can praise the Lord with you. And we need to have more persecution parties. Now look at verse 17, because this is where uh, I always lost the train of thought in this passage. I don't know if you're familiar with the passage we're studying tonight. But look at verse 17, because all of a sudden it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And I, and I always had a hard time tracking with that. We're talking about Christian people going through sufferings, going through persecutions, and then it all of a sudden talks about judgment. And, and judgment, that sounds really intense. That sounds like the wrath of God, but it's starting at the house of God. It's starting maybe in their mind at the temple, or remember how oh, we're all being built up as living stones and God's making us a house. So judgment is going to start right here among us. What does that mean? That judgment is going to begin at the household of God. See, I remember reading through this passage for many years in my life, and I'd be like, okay, I see that I'm not supposed to suffer as an evildoer, but I'm supposed to suffer as a Christian. Okay, then there's this part about judgment, and I just kept reading, and I didn't know what it was saying. Look what it says. If the judgment begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Proverbs 11.31 is the reference there. So now, if the judgment is starting with God's people, with the righteous ones, what's going to happen to those who are against God, the sinner or the ungodly? So see, this is a thought here that there's a judgment that's coming and it's starting with us. And if we're barely going to make it through, what's going to happen to the people who don't know Jesus and aren't righteous before God's sight? Now, 
the problem that we have, the problem at least that I had when I was reading this passage is I didn't know the full context. And so I, I just kind of skipped over verses 17 and 18, and then I got back to verse 19. Look at this one. This is a familiar verse. Maybe you've heard it. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, when, so I'd get back to that verse, and I'd be like, yeah, we're going to suffer, but we just got to keep trusting God, keep doing good, keep hoping it's all going to work out. Now, when it says entrusting your soul to your creator there, the word for entrusting, it's not the usual word for faith or trust or believe in the Greek language. It's this word to place before. It's this word to commit. Another time this word is used here in verse 19 is when Jesus is on the cross in Luke 23, 46. So you might want to write down that cross reference next to entrust. Luke 23, 46. This is Jesus up there on the cross, nails in his hands and feet, crown of thorns in his head, bleeding out on the tree. In fact, the darkness has come upon the land, kind of like the darkness is coming upon us here at the sunset service. And he's been up there trying to keep breathing on the cross. And, and he comes to this with a loud voice. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathes his last. So that placing of your soul before God, that committing of your soul before God, that's what this verse is talking about. Think of the moment when Jesus said, Father, I'm giving my soul up to you, and then he stops breathing and he dies. That's what this is talking about. So it's not talking about like I thought, I guess I just got to keep trusting and keep going. No, it's giving into a bigger idea. Have you placed your soul before God. Do you know that Jesus has saved your soul and when you die, when your body stops working, to be absent from the body will be to be present with the Lord. That's what it's talking about in the time of judgment. See, it's redirecting your thought. Hey, are you going through a hard time right now? Are you sad about it? Are you being persecuted? And what he's saying here, let's think about judgment. Let's fast forward to the end of the story. Let's get the big picture. Hey, have you put your soul up in God's hands? Do you know that on the day you die or the day Jesus returns that your soul is going to be saved by God? Okay, so if you know that God is going to save your soul, then that's going to help you put your present problems in perspective. Okay? This is so important that we get this perspective that if you think it's bad right now during coronavirus, if you think America is having a hard time in 2020, can I just tell you that judgment is coming upon this nation and judgment is coming upon this world and that is going to blow away anything that's going on right now. 
When he says it's time for the judgment to come and it's going to begin at the house of God, the reason that that doesn't trigger something in our minds, the reason sometimes like me growing up, I didn't know what Peter was talking about is because he's talking about things that the prophets already wrote that we're supposed to know, but a lot of us don't know. So it's a reference that goes right over our heads like some movie we haven't seen. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 9. If you can find the book of Ezekiel chapter 9, page 697, there are two passages that clearly talk about judgment beginning at the house of God. And these passages are so sobering, they're so serious when they talk about judgment that if you knew these references, you would maybe get what Peter was talking about. So I want to take us through first Ezekiel 9, page 697, if you got one of our Bibles, and I want to read for you this entire chapter, and I want you to think about how intense it's going to be when judgment comes, either here in America or on the whole wide world. Look at Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, bring near the executioners of the city each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen and a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now, the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub. So picture the temple here, everybody. And the glory of the God of Israel is on the temple on which it rested. And now it's gone up to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare. You shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Now that's a disturbing scene right there. One guy is going to go through the city and everybody who's sighing and groaning about all the abominations, all the perversions, all the sins that God hates that are happening throughout the city, the abortions and the immoralities, all of these things. Some people are praying about them. They're bothered by them. They're crying out for revival. We'll put a mark on their foreheads. But everybody else who's okay with the sin, everybody else who's participating in the lawlessness, we got six executioners going through the city with destroying weapons in their hands and just go. And if he didn't put a mark on their head, you go and end them on this day of judgment and start right at God's house where his glory is. That's what Peter's referring to when the judgment is going to begin at the house of God. He's striking us with, if you think it's bad now, if you think you're suffering now, if you think you're sad or persecuted now, do you know what's going to happen when judgment comes? Do you know how bad it's really going to get? 
when there's no mercy, when there's no pity, and people finally start getting what they deserve in their sin? Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Everybody go to the book of Malachi. Last book here in our, in our English Bible. It's the last book right before the New Testament, page 802 if you got one of our Bibles. Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 is another scene where it talks about judgment starting beginning at the house of God, the temple. And it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Hey, you want Jesus to come back? You want the end times to to go? Well, check this out, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And like fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment." I will be a swift witness against the, listen to this list here, against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. They oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Hey, watch out when that day, when it comes, Because I'm going to go through, I'm going to start at the temple, I'm going to start at my house, and I'm going to go through and I'm going to judge, and everybody who's not for me is against me, everybody who's living in sin, and I'm going to go, and if they don't fear me, they're going to be judged. Okay, so we're putting it now in perspective. Is it hard? Let Let me ask you guys an honest question. Is it hard to be a Christian in America right now? Who's with me on that? Is it hard? Not nearly as hard as getting judged by God. That's the perspective. We might be suffering a little bit right now, if necessary, through various trials. People who are going to be judged, the sinners, the ungodly, people still living in their sins, the way that they are going to suffer on the day of judgment is way worse than what we're going through right now. we got to put it in perspective. Point number two, compare your experiences with eternity. Compare your experiences with eternity. You think you're going through a hard time? You think, you think, oh man, it's so hard to keep going. It's so hard to keep doing what is right when everybody's telling me not to. It's so hard to keep talking about Jesus. Even right now, it feels hard to keep reading the Bible when there's so much bad news. Hard to keep going to church when we can't meet inside the building. A lot of people are feeling like a lot of things are hard. Well, let's have a perspective check. What about when the day of judgment comes? Are you going to be glad you're a Christian on that day? Are you going to be glad that you have already been made right with God and you're not going to be held accountable for your sins? You think what we're going through as Christians is hard? Wait till you see what this nation, what this world go through when God has given us enough mercy and his patience runs out on our sin. When the judgment begins, if you feel like it's hard for you, wait till you see what God does to the sinners and the ungodly. 
See, it comes down to, hey, if you've given your soul up to God, if you've placed your soul before him and God's going to save you, this is nothing. The suffering you're experiencing right now is nothing compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. It is not nearly as bad now as it is going to be good when you are in the presence of God and you behold his glory. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's a verse that encourages this kind of comparison that Peter takes us to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is going to encourage you to keep going. It's going to encourage you. If you've really entrusted your soul, if you've committed your soul into the hands of God, God, if I were to die, if I were to reach the end, if my day of judgment were to come, I have committed my soul, I've placed my whole life, who I really am on the inside, I've placed it before you, and I'm trusting in you to save me in the name of Jesus. If you've done that, then look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now look what it says about our suffering now. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, passing through. Not really something we're going to stay in. But the things that are unseen are eternal, forever. See, it's saying, hey, when you start feeling so sad, when you start feeling like it's so hard to be a Christian, that should be a warning sign to you. You've lost perspective. You're not feeling reality. You've actually lost reality. The truth is that the glory you're going to experience in the presence of God for all of eternity is so amazing, so awesome, and this is so short and so light compared to what's coming for you that your hope in the glory of God should way outweigh your thought about how you're suffering now. Now, what I'm saying right here is spiritual, and I'm afraid it's going to go over some of our heads because what I'm telling you is something that's going to help you not lose heart and keep going in the Christian life, but you're going to have to get your mind outside of space and time to really understand it. You're going to have to get your mind on the fact that here's a thought you're going to have to wrap your head around to really embrace the perspective that Peter is leaving us into. That on the day you cry out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When you breathe your laugh, the day you die, that's going to be a really good day for you if you're a Christian. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Anybody here ready to die? Anybody here sometimes want to die because you want to experience the glory of God and be with him? That might sound a little crazy. That's somebody who understands eternity. Somebody who's really thinking about the unseen. I got to tell you, two times during this whole six-month season, two times I have gone to funerals during this coronavirus. I have been to a funeral, and the person did not die from coronavirus. They died from something else. And I went to their funeral, and you know what? Those two funerals I went to, they might be the most two encouraging things I've done during coronavirus. Because those people, when they died, their soul was entrusted to God. 
And when they died, things got a lot better for them. And it helped me see, being there and hearing person after person talk about this person who had faith, this person who lived for God, this person who was ready to say, praise the Lord. See, everybody's talking about how their soul was directed towards God. They lived for God. And you know that when their body stopped working and they died, they were swallowed up by life. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They were no longer living by faith, but now they were living by sight. And they got to experience the glory of God. Like, are you ready for that moment? Are you ready for your soul to leave your body and then you will be with God? Paul, he wanted everybody to know this is what's going to happen. The Bible is very clear. This is what death is going to be like. Your soul leaves your body. And if you are a believer, if you have entrusted your soul to Jesus Christ to be absent from your body, you will be present with the Lord. If you have not entrusted your soul to Jesus, well, judgment is coming. Are you ready for that moment? Like that moment when you enter eternity, how how many bad days you had? How many times you felt sad? What the world said about you because you were a Christian? None of that is going to matter compared to the eternal weight of glory you're going to experience in a place where there is no more sadness, no more persecution, no more suffering, no more coronavirus, no more politics, no more elections, no more hate, no more division, no more cancer, no more any of that. A place that almost sounds too good to be true. The day you die, you will experience that. That's what you should be looking forward to. When you can put that in perspective, that someday I'm going to go and I'm going to experience something that Paul could say to live is Christ and to die is what? What does he say, everybody? To die is what? It's better than living this life. You're going to be better off when you're dead. If you could keep that perspective, it's going to help you not lose heart. And it's going to put all your sufferings, they're going to feel lighter, they're going to feel shorter, they're not going to feel as bad when you've got an eternal weight of glory that you're looking at. See, I went to a funeral this very day for a Christian man who was known for his faith, who was praising the Lord. And I heard a beautiful eulogy. A beautiful eulogy by a daughter about her dad. And she was saying that if everyone in the world had a father like hers, they would be blessed. They would have joy. They would not know fear. They would not be alone. She was saying these great things about her dad who is now passed away here, but is in the presence of the Lord. And it's sad for us here, but it's got to be glorious to be where he is right now. And she shared this. This story that she remembered about the joy that her dad had. They went on this tour. It was like a land and sea tour. I don't know if you've ever been on one of these vehicles that can drive around on the land, but then it can just go right into the water and, and be a boat. Anybody ever been on one of those before? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Land and sea tour. 
And so the moment comes when they're driving around, right? And the wheels are on the pavement and then there's the water and they just drive right into that water and all of a sudden you feel that sense of like weightlessness, of buoyancy. Like you're not on the bumps and the rocky roads and the obstacles, but suddenly now you're light and you're floating. And she remembered how her dad, when they had that moment and it felt different, how he said, yes, this is good. And the joy that he had going from the land to the sea. Is your soul ready to go from your body into the spiritual realm? Are you ready to go from time into eternity? There's going to come a moment and you're bumping along. You're getting knocked around. And then there's going to be a sense of weightlessness, of buoyancy. And your soul will be in the presence of God and there will be no motorcycles driving by when you're trying to make a point. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm here to ask you tonight, do you know that you have entrusted your soul to a God who is going to save you? That when you get to the other side, he will be there waiting to welcome you in. Hey, I've prepared a place for you. Well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter in to the joy of your master. See, if you know that you've committed your soul and you know that God holds you in his hands, if you know that the reason that you're going to go to heaven is because Jesus gave his last breath because he cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and you know your soul is in the hands of God, then you can have perspective on what you're going through right now. Because we're in heaven, we won't be talking about how bad the coronavirus was. We won't be talking about who won the 2020 election. We won't be talking about times we felt sad or persecuted. We will be basking in the glory of God and praising his holy name. And you, you could be there. You could be there. When your soul leaves your body, it will be so much better. It says this body's like a tent, and what you have in heaven is like a dwelling place. It's like this house that Jesus has prepared for you. And who's there? The Father, the Son, and all of the angels, all of the saints. Everybody united, everybody unanimously saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We know who our King is. We know who our Lord is. We don't have any other rulers. It's just Jesus 24-7. Anybody want to sign up for some of that? Here's how you sign up. Have you committed your soul to Jesus Christ? Have you trusted that when he died for you and he rose again, yeah, I'm putting all my hope right there in the gospel of Jesus. Because if you have done that, let me encourage you, your entrusted soul, don't lose heart. Because however bad you think it is now, it's going to be so much better when you're with Jesus. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. And we need this encouragement, God. There are many among us who are growing weary and doing good. There are many among us who are saying this is a hard time and they're having a hard time keeping going, God. If we're honest, people are having a hard time and they're being tempted to turn to sin, to give up, to lose heart. 
God, if we're being honest, a lot of us have been beaten down by the world. A lot, some of us aren't talking about Jesus as much. We're not trying to live in that passionate pursuit of righteousness because we've gotten some negative response and we've been persecuted. We've been reproached and insulted. And, and when there's so much suffering, we're sometimes wondering how long can we keep going? God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see eternity. I pray that you would give us the perspective that, no, judgment is coming. And when judgment comes, the only thing that's going to matter is whether we've entrusted our soul to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. That on that day of a, a reckoning, on that day of, of death, on that day that Jesus comes riding on the clouds, it's not going to matter how bad our life was here. It's going to matter. Did we give our souls? Did we place them before you? Did we say, God, here's my life. You're my creator. You're the one who's kept me alive. What else could I do with this life but give it to you? Father, you sent your son, and your son had to come down here, and he had to get judged. He had to feel the weight of my sin. He had to pay my penalty when he died on the cross. And he took the wrath that was there for me. And he cried out and he committed his spirit up to you. And so, Father, based on Jesus, here's my soul. Based on Jesus' resurrection, I believe, I have hope that even if I die, I will live. So I entrust myself to you. I give you who I really am. And I put myself in your hands and I say, God, will you please save my soul? God, give us that hope. Let us remember that if we're going to be with you, if we're going to see your glory, if we're going to look upon Jesus with our eyes, not by faith, and Jesus is going to welcome us in. He's going to show us the place he has prepared for us. He's going to give us a new name that nobody knows but him and us. And from that moment forward, we will always be with the Lord. It will always be glory. There will always be joy and peace and love forevermore. So God, please don't let us be throwing pity parties. When there is a party of praise and honor and glory awaiting for us at any moment, give us that eternal perspective so that this is a light and momentary affliction in our eyes. And we can't wait to see you in all of your glory. God, it is amazing grace that has brought us safely thus far, and it is amazing grace that will lead us home. Father, please, we have 10,000 years of glory coming. Give us that perspective. Encourage our entrusted souls today, we pray in Jesus' name.